In the Finest Hour, a 40k podcast about playing competitively that gives you advice and tips you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and with me I have Shaylin Allen, my good podcast host. Hi! And Joshua Death, my evil podcast host. How you doing? Oh, apparently we're all doing pretty good recently, as uh, we've come out of a couple tournaments with pretty reasonable scores. Uh, Josh, telling everyone how it can't be done with demons here, I hear. Right? They are impossible. You can't win with them. <laughs> it's, that is what the internet has told me many a time. And Shaylin also fighting the underdog fight with Grey Knights and Sisters. Because clearly oh. you combine the two worst armies to make the best army, right? I could have made this worse and added Admech instead oh, of man. Just a, a knight. A glutton for punishment there, huh? I didn't quite go that bad. Yeah. So yeah, we've uh, all been bouncing around to quite a few tournaments recently. The season is kind of wrapping up for most folks, but we're, we're just catching the tail end of it here. Uh, but that does bring us to the, the subject of the episode tonight, which is playtesting, a pretty critical part of going to any tournaments. Especially because now is the playtesting section before LVO. Yes, a whole lot of people are going to be using this couple-month break to refine their lists down, uh, especially once Chapter Approve and the Orc Codex are upon us here. That's going to require a whole lot of testing and a whole lot of changing, with not too many tournaments to be actually testing in the field at during that time. Yep. Yeah, there's not a lot in between, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the what we're kind of aiming to talk about with this episode, and the question I'd like to put out to the two of you is, how do you get good mileage out of your playtesting? Because anyone can play a practice game, that's easy. We all kind of do that anyways. But making your practice games count is the hard part, because we all have finite time, right? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It seems hard enough just, I mean, for a lot of people to try to schedule, you know, three hours to get a game of Warhammer in in the week for a lot of people... But uh, trying to get the most out of that three hours to make it count the most for you is, seems to be the challenge for a lot of folks. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's really what we're trying to sell to people here is if you're only going to play one game a week or one game every two weeks, you've got to make it count. Mm -hmm. So I guess what would, what would each of your top tips? Is what's, what's your most important thing for playtesting when you sit down for a game? I'm actually definitely curious to see how Josh did it, considering what he just did with those demons. Yeah, not a lot of practice yeah. there, yeah. Josh, they're, was... they're actually, yeah. Uh, so the, the process for that one was, um, once I had the first concept of the list, um, as far as like the basic shell, uh, the next step on that was to start scheduling practice games. And the, the first few practice games weren't even it really didn't even matter who i was playing against or what list i was playing against it was more how did the army feel you know uh you you play yeah. enough of the 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 same the same style missions whatever missions you're preparing for you play enough of them over time that you know how the missions feel and you know how uh how should this army feel on the table you know should does it seem sluggish does it seem like it's not i'm not getting into the board as fast as i would like does it seem like I'm not engaging my opponent as fast as I would like, or am I vulnerable here, or whatever. And so I just needed to see how it felt, to see how the army felt as a whole, and, and any changes that might need. And then after that, uh, you know, normally it'll be it's about it took about three to five games of that before I really kind of started to get a good feel for the list. And then I transitioned into at that point uh, 
what I would like, uh, what I think we, we both kind of dubbed the term soft playtesting. And that's where it came down to, all right, let's start working out the, the kinks of the list. You know, I've got the main shell now. There's little unit things like maybe this character here or maybe, you know, this, this change here or instead of Terminator armor, power armor, whatever. And all these, you know, that's when you start running these lists of, in those games, a lot of times you can get, I'll get eight or nine of those games in inside of four hours. And a lot of that comes down to, uh, you know, you'll start up the game, you'll set it up, you'll play, and you're about midway through the first turn and you realize this is a horrible mistake, this didn't work, this didn't work. All right, well, let's change it, re-rack it, and do it again. And yeah. and you just do it over again. And you literally just re-rack. Like, you're just re-racking a game of pool, re-rack it, go again. And I'll normally, I'll re-rack three, four, five, six times in a half-hour period until, because at, my, at that point, I am a huge, huge, huge supporter of the age-old adage of practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Um, mm. And if I made a mistake, I don't want to continue that game off of that mistake because the mistake is what was wrong. So I need to correct the mistake. And and continuing to play that uh, quote unquote bad game is only going to reinforce the mistake in your the mistake your exactly exactly. And so that's why a lot of times we'll just re rack and do it again, re rack and do it again. And that seemed to help a lot, uh, especially with I mean literally having to pick up pure demons. I mean this was. I had obviously zero experience in 8th edition with pure demons. I'd kind of sprinkled them into a couple chaos lists, but not on their own. So that was a really new thing. And then also then to try and run a summoning demon list where there was almost a thousand points of summoning in the list, that was even more because it opened up that many more questions and variables in the list. And uh, played it did a lot of that soft playtesting and a lot of that. That was uh, I ran through an entire tournament like that just to try and see what was good decision, bad decision, so on and so forth. Well, I think before we get too much further, let's uh, let's step back and couple, hit on a couple of the points. Uh, this is something we talked about a bit before the show and in other media, but uh, the idea of soft versus hard playtesting, I think, is an important one, and it's not a, a terminology that I think a lot of people use. We kind of made it up for ourselves, but I think it's a very useful concept to have. Very true. Can I do this one? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because this is Look what I've talked about with you a number of times. <laughs> I'm the super accurate autistic person. Oh boy, this is my job. <laughs> yes. Why don't you go ahead and define them for us? All right. So I'm going to start with hard playtesting. Hard playtesting is just physical skills of executing the game. You are doing a complete tournament setting with no take backs. Everything's hardline. You're often playing for time using a chess clock. Things like that. You're playing as though it were an actual game. Yes. You're, basically, you're just trying to keep your physical habits so that you're not being sloppy. That's its goal. Okay. Soft playtesting is about refining your mental habits and how you approach playing the game. So there's a lot more discussion and pausing, and time is not necessarily an importance there. It's more about learning the game than playing the game. Exactly. Uh, and, and learning how to play the game better. So you're working on your soft skills, like, okay, let's discuss, like, can I ambush this thing? Do you think that's a good idea? What types of secondaries for the missions am I picking? Things like that are questions you ask. So it's more of you have a discussion with your opponent as you're going through the game, so you can look at the game as it's developing side by side with a, hey, here's how I'm thinking about it. And something else that... Uh... Josh talked about, which I think is very important, is 
uh, getting a feel for the list, which obviously every list is going to play a bit differently. You need those practice games to get a good feel for how a list does and what it wants to be doing. Because, for example, some lists are going to want to move forward on turn one, some lists are not. Some lists are going to go to objectives immediately, some are going to stay away from them. It's how, what the well, Those decisions, that process of, of choosing where you're going to go and what your overall goals are, is going to be different for every army, and that's one of the reasons you need those practice games. And not just a few practice games, a lot of them. There's no such thing as enough. It's like DACA, you can't have enough practice. Absolutely oh, yeah. true. Very true. 100%. I cannot emphasize that enough. And and this is one of the reasons playtest games are important. Not just, even if you understand a list very well, even if it's very similar to other versions of a list you've played, you do need to get a lot of playtesting in, because you need those repetitions to be good with a list. Yes. Um, that is presently a problem I'm facing, as I've considered making a list change, and I don't think I've had enough reps to actually change it before SoCal. And and sometimes you just, you, you don't. You shouldn't change a list. Uh, a rule of thumb for me is don't make any significant changes to your list more than a week and probably more than two weeks. Two weeks, a tournament. yeah. Yeah. Depends on how many practice games you're getting in. If you're getting in three or four games in a, in a week, a week of change is acceptable. Um, presuming it's not completely rewriting your list, but True, two yeah. weeks is probably a much safer time span. Most people don't get to get in multiple games per week. Yes, which is why knowing when you've had enough practice is also important. And that's something you'll probably only get with practice, but that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, uh, a, a general rule of thumb is you do soft practice in preparation for an RTT, at the RTT, you do refinement testing over the course of a series of them, and by the time you're hitting the grand tournaments and majors, you've locked in something. You really should have, yes. Uh, the other thing Josh mentioned, because he, he kind of touched on a lot of really important ideas that I think <laughs> we want to go over, um, abandoning a game before it's done. In a tournament, you would never, ever do this. But in practice games, it's actually pretty common. Um, it should, you should usually know how the game is going to pan out by turn three. Not always, but you'll usually have a pretty good feel for it. And that means you should, you sh don't need to finish most of your games. Um, it's often not beneficial to just play out those last several turns. So there's, don't feel bad ab about stopping a game prior to that if the person you're practicing against is looking for the same kind of practice you are. This goes back to the social contract. Make sure you're both on the same page. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Don't 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 throw up on your local Facebook group that you're looking for a game when you're trying to do a you know practicing for a tournament and prepping a list, and some guy shows up with his very fluffy friendly army that he wants to play, and you're prepping for a tournament and he's running something fluffy, and all of a sudden now you got major angst going on because he didn't realize what you were wanting to do. Yes. yes, you do. You should be very upfront about the people you're practicing with. Uh, but this comes around to another important point on things, which is getting in practice games with different kinds of opponents. Because especially for a lot of folks who may not have access to an infinite pool of players to play with, or may not have a, a team who is always able to meet with them, you won't always be able to practice against the best players in your area. Sometimes you'll have to practice against people who are not as good or who are not tournament players at all. Yep. 
Um, and there's still some value in that they may have an army that uh, you are not very familiar with, for example. Yes, and one thing that you need to be ready for in a tournament, especially if you're getting up into a large GT or major-sized tournament, is that you're going to run into some weird lists that you did not expect. The mid-tables are full of them. Yep. Uh, and you got to claw your way through those mid-tables if you want to get to the top. That's just how it is. So... Even if your opponent is not a dyed-in-the-wool competitive player, you can still get a lot of value out of the game, but you're probably going to be looking for a little bit different kinds of practice. Uh, yes. You're not necessarily going to play a uh, teeth-gritted, super-harsh competitive thing, but this is your chance to kind of try out some of these more unusual strategies, Um Yep. Make gambles that you might not make in a tournament game to see how they play out and how the math on them works. Um, test out units or stratagems, stratagems in the game sense as opposed to in the more general sense. Yeah. Uh, and things like that that you wouldn't normally make use of. Exactly. Uh, additionally, one of the other things you can do uh, while you're practicing is sometimes try out a bad idea. Because there might be something really valuable you learn in the process of that. Yes. That is, this feels like a bad idea. Now I know why it feels like a bad idea. But there's this aspect of that idea that is a risk idea, which is a more useful thing to have in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, another thing I will do with opponents who are sort of below the caliber of folks that you would normally necessarily, because ideally you are playing the best player in your area when you're doing a practice game, but of course that's all not always going to be the case. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're playing someone who is sort of below your skill caliber, take a handicap. Um, I've played a 2,000 point game, game down by 200, 300, 400 points. Um, because sometimes you're going to get into situations in a tournament game where you're functionally doing that, where they get lucky and blow off your knight first turn, and now you're playing 1,600 against their 2,000. And you need to be ready to win that game, too. Yes. Um, as a granite player, I find myself often on the back foot, because mm -hmm. that's just what I do. I'm probably playing with 100-point handicap right now, so... Functionally, yes. Um, and that can include, that doesn't necessarily like leaving models off the table, that can also just be not utilizing certain abilities or stratagems in your list, or, or other ways of handicapping yourself. Uh, but I think making that conscious decision of, okay, I'm going to play this game without using my serpent shields at all. Why? Because, you know, I need to make this game harder, and that means I'm going to have to lose something. And that can be an easy way to give that up if you are playing a player who is not as experienced. Also, there's a lot of value in teaching. Oh, uh, for sure. Because teaching, uh, being able to teach means you understand it well enough to explain it to someone yeah, else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think we so. have a whole other episode on teaching players the game as opposed to learning the game. But uh, when you're playing a lower caliber player, helping them get better yes. will teach you things. Showing them, you know, helping them correct their mistakes in uh, the, in deployment and things like that, pointing out things they have missed. Um, if you're playing someone who is less skilled than you, it is typically going to be a, a soft game yes. where you are, or soft on their end, where you are telling them ideal strategies and pointing out things that they should probably be doing. Um, within reason, don't 
don't become like the jerk who plays the game for his opponent. Uh, but if they're willing to accept help, then sort of give them that help. Um, but you are you are probably helping them out, but not necessarily accepting a lot in return, because if you're better than them, then they probably don't have a lot to point out to you. <laughs> but sometimes they see things you don't. Another plus that I that I will normally do whenever I'm playtesting is, uh, especially if I, uh, given my circumstances, if I'm uh, if I'm running a list, let's say that is very hard alpha strike list. This list is designed to go first and does really really well. If it goes first, it's got a massive bonus. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I start playtesting that list, I will actually make my have my opponent automatically they get choice of going first or second. They get to choose to go first. They automatically yes. count as winning that role. Because I already know my army is really good going first. Now what I need to figure out is, all right, so what happens when I don't go first? It's really good when it goes first, but how do I still win these games when I'm not going first? Right. Exactly. Uh, I, w I think you can actually generalize that more, even. Um, I will often, when I'm playtesting, sort of uh, either like Josh says, take the, the bottom of the turn when you know the top is most useful to you, or vice versa, because some lists want to go second. Um, but also picking missions or deployments that you know are disadvantageous to you, or anything else like that, where you place yourself in a bad situation and then play that game from the bad situation because you need to learn how to deal with that. Exactly. 100% agree. And while we're sitting here talking about games, uh, why don't we talk about uh, recording them and taking notes and such? Yeah, that can definitely oh, be sure. a useful tool. Uh, I know that Josh does a, a fair amount of that, that you have a whole system for it. I do. I actually have a quite intricate system. Uh, one of the big ones that, uh, like what Shay mentioned earlier, whenever you whenever you take those risk-rewards scenarios where, you know, you just know it's a horrible idea and it's probably not going to pan out right, but you do it anyways to see what fosters from those. Uh, those moments specifically, I actually have a, a small notebook that I carry with me whenever I'm doing playtesting, and I will jot notes down in those about, I took this and I did this, and this was the result of it. And a lot of times when I'm, when I get back home or I'm just sitting down and I'm starting to review and, kind of working on how can I make this list better? How can I work it better? What can I do for it? I will actually just start perusing and just paging through a lot of these notes that I've taken of this list so far because I just don't know when one of them is going to just spawn this idea of, oh, wait, why didn't I think of this before? And it'll, it allows me to take it in a direction that I probably wouldn't have done had I not had those notes sitting in front of me visibly. Yes, you can often find the the germ of a very good idea in a mistake or strange decision you made somewhere else in the playtesting process. Bob Ross calls these happy accidents. And that's kind of what they are. That's exactly what they are, I guess. That's a, a good, good choice of words. <laughs> well, I think we've hit some really good points so far, but before we get too much further, I'd like to take this over to our quartermaster and go through a couple ads, and then on the back half of the episode, we'll catch you all again. Hey there, Wargamers. Are you looking to do conversion of your dreams, but just can't find the right bits? Probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well... 
Those dreams can become reality with Vritaforge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen, happen. Vritaforge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A-F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. Vritaforge. Make all of your Wargaming Bits dreams come true. Alright, we're resupplied and ready to go at this topic again. So, I think one of the other big things that I find is really helpful and really important when you're doing playtesting is missions. Because, man, how many people have lost a game because they read the mission wrong? Oh, yeah. It's it's incredibly common, and it's the sort of thing that you shouldn't let happen to you, because there's no excuse for not having read the missions, uh, and being familiar with them. Not just having read them, but top and bottom, know everything about how that mission works and have played it before. I realized uh, we play a lot of ITC missions, for context here, and they have random deployment, but the objectives are fixed. And there was one objective uh deployment and objective set that i hadn't ever paired together and i got to learn about that the hard way at a tournament and i'm like not doing that again yes <laughs> you definitely want to practice those different missions and those different deployments um you there's essentially 36 possible combinations in just itc and they don't even have as many missions as some of them but get a feel for how they work and how your army deals with them. Because some armies are very good in certain deployments, but very bad in others. Yes. Uh, and there are some things where it's like, oh, the objectives are not in this deployment zone, but they are in this deployment zone. Yes. There are just little nuances you need to know. Yeah, you should, you should know kind of innately by the time you are going to a tournament uh, how each of the missions are going to kind of play out and what you're good at and what you're bad at, because that's very important to having a functional list. Um, and actually, as a, a similar subject, I think, is dealing with different kinds of terrain setups, because the terrain at a tournament you go to is not always going to be the same as the terrain you are used to playing on locally. Uh, Sean can attest to this. We changed the terrain on our tables. We're like, okay, what's crappy tournament table, TM, look like? Yes. Versus a standard ITC terrain setup. Because you will sometimes get those planet bowling ball. Oh, I was just about to say the bowling ball. Yep, every now and then you're going to get the bowling ball. It's unfortunate, but you know what? It's a thing that happens, and... You have to be ready for it. You should... Yeah, you can't, you can't just say, oh, I lost because I played on planet bowling ball. And maybe you will lose because of that, but you know what? Don't just give up. Make it a game still. Yeah. Um, playing in, in various types where it's like, okay, well, we're going to practice playing with this giant line of psych blocking piece in the middle, but basically planet bowling ball everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh -huh. if, well, because some tournaments do have very specific. Nova obviously has fixed terrain setups that are literally, like, every single table is that same fixed terrain setup. If you're going to go to Nova and you're not practicing with terrain setups like that, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Uh, and similarly, the, the big frontline tournaments, your LVO, VAO, SoCal, tend to have certain types of terrain be extremely common on their tables. Those big L-shaped ruins and some of the other L terrain pieces. So 
if you aren't used to playing with those, that can really catch you off guard. And yeah. so get some practice games in with that kind of stuff. Mix your terrain up and change the way your setups are. Play some heavy tables. Play some light tables. Especially emphasize whichever one would be disadvantageous for you. For yes. sure. Uh, because you want to be practicing for a worst-case scenario, not a best-case scenario. But I think that's a rule that kind of is usefully applicable, is when you're practicing, get ready for things to be bad, because when things are good, you're already at an advantage. You don't need the help. But when things are bad, that's when you really need your skills to shine through. Uh, though that said, when we're talk referencing back to our hard play testing, you should practice hard play testing in some advantageous situations, just so you remember how to not make mistakes. Sure. Um, again, this comes back around to repetition is super important. You need practice games of all kinds, as many as possible. Reps, reps, and more reps. As I said, it's like DACA. There's never enough. Yes. And actually, that... Uh, comes around to another point that I think a lot of people kind of ignore, but is actually really important, especially as you get into that hard play testing stage where you are playing up to a tournament standard, you need to be making sure you are moving fast enough to complete the game. Because a lot of people just kind of play a game, and yeah, it takes you like four hours because you're chatting with your buddy and all that, and that's fine. You, you don't want to make your play testing experience miserable for either of you uh but have that time clock and practice with that time clock so especially if you're playing that horde list or that big shooty list uh that you are going to finish the game yeah um that's a courtesy to your opponent and yourself and if you're if you're aiming to get towards the top tables maybe even win a tournament if you're likely even if it's just an rtt you need to be finishing games so you're getting those max points out of them and if you are failing to finish games or you're you're only playing games to like turn four or whatever, that's not going to cut it in a big tournament. Yep. Even just a GT, you are going to fail to finish that first turn, that first game where you get to like turn three or four, and then they're going to put you on a chess clock and you're going to run out of time. And when you run out of time, you lose the game. Yeah. That is a pretty hard and fast rule that you may not literally lose the game because ITC just makes it so you can't perform any voluntary actions. But if your opponent has three turns to do whatever they want and you can't stop them, you lose the game. Uh, I will also point out, back to the handicaps for soft games, is you can play with a chess clock and give yourself noticeably less time than your opponent. Absolutely. Or play, play with a chess clock but only limit yourself. Uh, yeah. So give yourself uh, you know, that hour 25 or hour 15 or whatever it may be for your tournament and just let your opponent take as much time as they need because that is also a kind of handicap yes um i have taken to uh trying to play a game in two hours mm -hmm. which is just insane but i have learned a lot about speed play from that yep because that is a skill unto itself which we'll talk about in another episode i'm sure we will have a whole episode on playing fast for certain um well kind of the flip side of all of this Dealing with bad luck, because this is absolutely a thing that we all have to confront at some point. What are, what are your strategies for this in playtest games? Uh, screaming at my dice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, strategies that help you play better as opposed to make you feel better. Uh, that, that is actually a huge part. Of, that is actually not negligible because if I can get myself out of the emotional slump of it, I can actually deal with it better. True. I think that's very important. Because as Shay points out there, like, it's not about, you can't control what your dice are doing. 
but you can control how you feel about those dice. And you will have bad dice during games, so get ready to confront that. Um, usually there's a certain amount of me looking over the course of the game, because my dice are all over the place, to put it mildly, as mm -hmm. they are. That's so there's random. like, <laughs> yeah, that roll was really, really bad, but I had these other great rolls here. And, and that is to help myself not get into the emotional slump, because if you're really emotional, you don't play well. That's just a fact. Absolutely. I would it agree. Can be, it can be really hard to avoid getting yourself in that mental place, but it's also very important to doing well. Yes, uh, which is something you also need to practice in practice games, is like, if things go badly, practice dealing with your emotions and making sure that's under control. Yes. Um, I, I mean, as a woman, I can cry at a game as long as the tear doesn't come over and make it awkward. Right. <laughs> uh, um, but, but let's not say that men can't cry during a game, too, although it may be looked at a little bit differently. Yes. Uh, uh, I will personally never fault an opponent for getting upset and crying a little bit if his dice have abandoned him. Yes. Um, a another thing to do is, uh, is you're sitting there, it's like, okay, now I'm playing at a disadvantage. I'd still play that out even in a soft game, because bad luck is something you do need to work with. So at that point, it becomes a question of, okay, I just lost this important unit. What do I do? And at that point, you start taking some risk maneuvers mm -hmm. at a certain point. If you're running out of units, do risky things. Or, or maybe you have to play very conservatively at that point. It, it's yeah. going to depend on your army. But you need to change how you play, certainly. If the centerpiece of your army going away, you can't just keep doing what you're doing. Josh, do you have any strategies for sort of uh, controlling the mental state of the game when you start getting bad luck or bad results? Um, when, because invariably it does happen. Yeah. You know, you, you get that time where uh, your your luck turns south and things just, you had that one horrible turn. Uh, and, and it's going to happen. You play enough games, you play enough events, it is going to happen. Yep. Um, the two methods I've tried to use the most when I get when I'm faced with those situations is uh, one I take normally you get a good hint at it like you get a couple bad rolls and they're kind of like oh crap okay well that didn't pan out and then you go a little bit further into the turn and you realize okay this is going south quick most of the time when that happens I take a stop I literally just stop myself for a minute irrelevant if the clock is running it doesn't matter I stop for a minute I take a step back and I look at okay Here's the board as it sits right now. Here's the way things are going. If things continue to go south, where which which direction is it going to go and why? If they continue to just completely dump on me, what's about to make that happen? And and I look at those pitfalls that are in front of me that are going to set this up for another bad situation, and I ask myself, what can I do instead? Okay. If my, my plan was to take this action, this action, this action, and I've already done the first two, and they completely blew up in my face. I look at that third action that I was looking at is, is this a risk? Is this another potential to blow up in my face? If so, what's my alternative? And at that point, I regroup and I look at the, the, the thing I seem to always go back to. And, and I, I guess it's a good fallback for me is I relook at the mission. That is my number one that I look back to is, okay, so I was bold and I was going to go for this, this, and this. But obviously right now, okay. Maybe I just need to go for this, all right? I'm not winning big, and I may not even be winning, but I'm not losing big either. Yeah. Right now, I'm just going to take this shitty-ass turn that I just got, and I'm going to crawl through it. I'm going to get my couple points, and I'm going to hold. I'm going to regroup, and I'm going to hold. Yeah. And 
let's wait and see how their turn goes, and then I make my decision of how hard do I need to push after that. And it's pretty much I just spend the rest of that turn and regroup and refortify and just try and make sure it doesn't shit on me anymore. There is no shame in, like, shutting your eyes and counting to 20. Oh, yeah. Done it. Yeah, and or even more than that. Josh, Josh kind of said it uh, obliquely, but five minutes on the clock is nothing if it gets you back into a mental state where you're able to play the game effectively. And after a bad set of turns of dice, it can be hard to do that. It's something I struggle with. I something I know it's something a lot of players do. Um, Colin and Mitch over in Best in Faction have talked about it a couple times, is sometimes you just need to step away from the game yep. and take five, maybe even a full ten minutes. And that seems like forever when you only have an hour 25 to play your game. But if ten minutes means you actually play the game instead of just going through the motions, yep. then it's the whole world right there. Yeah. 100% agree. And the other thing is uh, that I've also discovered is find hope. There yes. is hope to crawl yourself out of that situation. Yep, and, and I think that, that that echoes a lot of what Josh said right there, which is maybe you're not going to get your original objective. You, you look at it and you say, oh shit, I'm not going to get recon this turn. But that's just one point. That's not the whole world. Change your goals so that recon is no longer part of your objective. Because stepping back and saying, okay, what, how many points can I get out of this? is, or what, or what do I need to do, or what are my realistic options, you know? Oh, I failed to destroy that unit. Well, my plan was to keep shooting at it, but I obviously can't do that anymore. Because just sitting on autopilot and doing what you were going to do anyways, regardless of what your dice rolls happen as, is never going to win a yep. game. Uh, because as soon as those dice turn against you, then your whole plan falls to pieces, and following that plan when it's in shambles is, is just ludicrous. It is, um, and this is a, a value from something soft games have been teaching me over, over the years is playing a couple turns ahead, and I actually come up with a plan of stuff, bad stuff happens. What happens if I just lose my entire Grey Knight's Outrider to my opponent's response fire? Yep. I need to be ready for that. Yep. So um, these kind of things are, you, you look ahead before you even get to the bad turn, acknowledging if there's a bad turn here, I have some plans ready. Right. What what can I survive if something goes wrong? And if if I can't survive this, if I lose, say, this, this whole detachment of mine that I, I brought in planning to hammer the enemy, what can I do instead? Yeah. Um, so, and from those situations I've learned, sometimes it's okay to sacrifice a whole detachment if you have a backup detachment that's basically going to walk over their army. Yes. Well, I think another one of the episodes that we're, we're kind of looking to the future a lot here, but we'll have a whole episode on sacrificial pawns in the game. Oh, yeah. Because that is absolutely clutch. And I think Shaylin and I, who both play very aggressive armies, have a lot of experience with sacrificial units. Um, and, and there's a certain amount of just going, ha, oh, man, I just perils blew myself off the table. Well, oh, well. Yep. <laughs> And so that's kind of how you deal with luck, is, is dealing with the emotion of it and having plans or finding plans when you don't have them anymore. Right. So there's, there's one thing that Josh had talked about a little bit before the episode and I think is absolutely paramount to learning to get better at the game, and that is swapping lists. Ah, that's actually kind of fun. 
It is. It can be really interesting. Yeah, it's and, hugely beneficial. Yeah, it can it can be huge. And there's a couple different ways to do it. Uh, so when we say swapping lists, let's be clear. We don't mean when you hand your list over to your opponent and you both look at it and then hand it back and play the game. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about swapping lists. What we mean here is playing your opponent's list. Like, literally, the, you they play your army, you play theirs. Uh, it, the, the time Sean and I have done it has been we both set up. We both switch sides. We can start playing. You can also, it's also very beneficial to start it all the way from the decision-making point where you're choosing warlord traits and all that kind of thing. Yes. Um, where, you know, you'll go through and do the whole deployment for the army and everything just as though it was your list. Yes. Uh, and that is extremely beneficial in a soft game standpoint because your your opponent's like, there's a reason I do blank. Yes. Uh, a, a list swap like this is pretty much always going to be a soft game. Um, because you, your opponent obviously knows the list better than you do at that point. So you're looking to go through and get a feel for their decision-making and where their threats are and where the failure points for their army are. Um, and also replicating a top meta list and swapping that for yours can also teach you about its failure yes. points. Absolutely. Because... There are different kinds of ways that practice games can help you out. And we've talked a lot so far about uh, how practice games can help you improve your list uh, and your skills with that list. But that's not the only skill you want to be improving. Um, you also want to be improving your general play skills and your familiarity with different armies in the meta. Um, that even if you don't play Tau, you need to understand how Tau work to beat them. Even if you aren't a Yanari player, you'd better know how Yanari work. Exactly. And Which... swapping lists brings a, is a teaching you a very different skill set because focusing on your army will improve that army, but focusing on learning the list as a whole is going to improve your general play skills and your familiarity with other armies. Yes. Yes. And also, while we're talking about kind of goals thing, I know this is a list-building thing, but understanding what goal you had in mind when you built your list can tell you, and see how that goal works out in practice, will tell you how to work on your list as well. Right. Um, Josh mentioned a, a bit when he was in his, his opening spiel about how he playtests, um, getting a feel for a list and what it can and can't do, whether it feels slow or whether it feels like it's lacking in a certain kind of firepower or whatnot. Um, that's a very important part of, a, of testing a list. And it may be that after only a couple of games, you decide that, like, oh, I really don't have what I need to be able to kill tanks. I need to change this list. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But you, you need the playtesting often to get a feel for that, because looking at a list on paper is not always going to be the same as piloting it in person. Exactly. All right. Well, hopefully this was an informative episode for everyone out there in listener land. Uh, I think we touched on a lot of topics that can be a lot of use to those of you who are trying to get some playtest games in anticipation of LVO and some of the other big tournaments coming up here. Mm -hmm. uh, if you all got a month or two after Chapter Approved drops as a whole and everything changes, because probably it's everything is going to be totally different after that. Oh, it's going to be a whole new game. It really is. So go out there and get that practice in and get those those, those reps with your army. 
because that is the thing that matters the most. We've, we've said it a couple times already, but nothing is more important than getting reps in. Uh, and don't be afraid to take photos and notes and record your game because then you can talk about it with other people. Yes. Like, I might get a practice game against a softer player, but then I can talk about it with Sean, and he can be like, you messed these three things up in his clever way of saying it. Yeah. Blunt? <laughs> is blunt what you were going to use? I think that's an accurate word. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, if you have any comments or additions, you think, feel free to post them to our Facebook, as well as to the website we have in the finest hour. Uh, we've also started up a Patreon, which likewise in the finest hour, we'll link all of that through the Facebook group and whatnot. And if you'd like to join up with that, we'll probably have some special episodes where we talk about the different lists in the meta and that sort of thing coming up. Although that's probably a little bit in the future. Uh, at this point, j joining the Patreon is mostly just a way to help us all out and say thanks. You don't have to, it's just a nice little bonus and it gives you a group of like-minded folks to discuss things with as we're going to have a uh, Discord going, and probably a, a Facebook group as well that is private for only our patrons. Yes. Uh, seems to be a pretty popular thing, and I think it works out pretty well. I've gotten a lot of value out of those, so... Yeah, there are several others that do the same, and uh, it's, it seems to be a good thing. Do we have any other announcements we'd like to make? Upcoming tournaments? Anything like that? Uh, I know you've got an upcoming tournament, but my next upcoming one is going to be the SoCal Open in two weeks. Good luck, good luck. Uh, we'll, we'll have that, and then also sometime after that I'll be heading down for a team tournament in December uh, with a big ETC-style thing. Uh, but I think after that none of us are doing a lot until LVO. Josh, do you have anything before LVO? Uh, Glass City GT is going to be the first week in January, January 5th. That's going to be a big one. Okay. Uh, it's actually... One of the bigger, it's really ironic. It's it's numbers wise, it only has probably maybe sixty to seventy people, but uh, on average, you'll wind up with about half that field being in the top twenty to thirty people in the in the in the country. I mean, oh, okay. you get uh, Alan Bajamovic, yeah. Justin Curtis, uh, Brad Chester, almost the entire Team USA team normally will okay. show up to that one. Uh, you wind up with uh, uh, a lot of really big names kind of dig in for that event. So it's yeah. it's always really weird because it's like 70 people, but half the field is this ultra-competitive, high-end ITC, you know, ranked individuals. And then the other half of the people are, uh, field are just kind of locals that happen to come up to this <laughs> big event. And it's just this really, really massive dichotomy, I mean, massive dichotomy of players at the event. But it it's always a really good one to get in right before LVO because it's really good kind of last-minute practice, after chapter approved. It's a big one, so you can get some really good games out of it. So that's a really good one. I've got that one on my list. Where's that at? Toledo, actually. Okay. Uh, Toledo, Ohio is where that one will be. And then uh, Du Bois GT is actually coming up the th uh, third week in oh, yes. November. I'll be at that one as well. Looking forward to that one. And then there is one more uh, fairly good-sized event. A, <clears throat> I think it's second week in December in Canada. In, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in uh, Ontario, uh, Ottawa, in Ottawa, that I'll be going to. So okay. three more big ones for me, and then yeah. just a couple yeah. kind of small practice ones leading up to LVO. All right. Yeah, well, I start working weekends, so I can't get time off for tournaments right now. <laughs> it makes things a little bit difficult at times, yes. That does, that whole work thing, that four-letter word I hate saying. Yeah, yeah, but 17 bucks an hour is not anything I'm going to complain about. <laughs> Amen to that. 
All right. Well, thank you to everyone for listening, and hopefully we'll see some of you at a tournament upcoming here, LVO, if nothing else. Uh, I'd also like to give a big thanks to our sponsor this for this month, as well as to Dank Muse for providing the music for our intro, outro, and commercial break. And next week, we'll see you all for writing a competitive list. Nice little how-to guide on following this one up. So, from me here in the center, Shaylin on the left. See ya. And Josh on the right. Catch you guys on the flip side. Thanks for listening. this episode while fending off a Federation wolf. It was later edited by our hand after the exterminator.